is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries, soundoftrumpetministries.com, and I want to actually do a teaching called Judgment Day. Um, the name of the teaching, again, is Judgment Day. And, you know, it was just kind of funny that the Lord gave me this because um, I was just cut off a little while ago, or, you know, video wasn't doing okay, so I had to start over. But here's the whole thing is, Today, I don't know if you guys ever heard of those Quora moderation apps where people get on there and they ask all sorts of what you and I would call ridiculous questions, you know, who would win Superman or Batman or, you know, all this other foolishness. So the question was asked about a week ago. I think this was when it was sent about three or four days ago. And um, it asked... Uh, the most terrifying thing that actually exists. They said, what is the most terrifying thing that actually exists? So I messaged them back. I was the first to respond to this. And um, this is a core of moderation speaking to me. They say, hello, we recently found some of your content. Your comment on what is the scariest, most terrifying thing that actually exists that violates chorus be nice be respectful policy and um then it says please keep this policy in mind when interacting with other people on Quora. uh if you continue posting content that violates this policy you may be banned from using Quora. <laughs> it says for more information see how do i appeal a Quora moderation decision so some people would say, all right, well, what did you do that was so bad that made them respond this way? Well, this is what I said, guys. This says the full text of comment. I said the most terrifying thing that exists is God and the return of Jesus Christ to all sinners and those who oppose him. Get right with Jesus while you still have the time. Uh, call out to him and confess your sins and repent of your wicked ways, and he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and you will have his, you will have his gift of salvation. Uh, if not, the next scariest thing that exists is the lake of fire and brimstone uh, for all of eternity, and there is no time in eternity. That's terrifying. Now, my question is, what did I say that was so bad? that made these people react this way? What did I say that was so wrong that would make them want to ban me? They think I'm talking religion or some other stuff or I'm trying to be mean or what I'm doing is hate speech, but what I'm trying to do is tell people the truth that they may receive the truth and that they won't be condemned in life. And you see, that's the problem when people don't believe in God God is looked at as some fairy tale. You believe in him if you want to. And if I don't believe in him, I'll be 100% fine. 
But what we're finding here and what we're talking about is God does exist, okay? Hell exists, the lake of fire exists, and judgment day totally exists, okay? And, you know, I tell people when people try and look at this and they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't believe in God and, you know, it's not going to scare me or what you believe is okay with you. But I want people to have an understanding and, and think of this is that they must understand that let's just say that what Christians believe is wrong and what Christians believe is crazy. Now, if I believed what Christians believed my whole life and then I were to die, I can say, you know what? Um, you know, well, I'm, I was going to die anyway. I was going to be just like almost any other man. And, you know, okay, so the thing about God is a lie, but I was going to die anyway. But what if what the Christians say is true? What if the truth truly is that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he's going to judge the world at the end of time and unless before him one day and be totally accountable for everything that we have done in our bodies? What would you say to that? If you were to die, there is no turning back. There is no negotiating. There is no doing this whole thing over. And that's something that people have got to understand that, you know, what we're saying is absolutely true. The Bible is 100% the truth. But unless we receive that, and unless we believe that, and unless we understand that we were not evolved, you know, we were created. And that creator is going to see us one day, and he's going to judge us for the deeds that were done in our mortal bodies all the people that we turned away from, all the people we didn't want to hear, all the sin that we had pleasure in, and all the people that tried to preach the gospel to us and tell us, and we just, you know, blow them off like they're no big deal. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. So, you know, that's what I'm going to be talking about, Judgment Day, because you see, if you had to see God this week, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have anything else on your mind but that. You would do everything the Bible says if you knew that what you did in that length of time would either, you know, um, help you go on to eternity or will damn you forever in eternity. That's just something to think about, you know, and that's what we're going to get into. So this is no laughing matter. You know, this is the absolute truth and what I'm going to say. Okay, so let's get started. I want to go to Daniel chapter seven, and then from there we can go into prayer and really get into this lesson. So Daniel seven, and I want to begin at verse one. And you guys look at this. This is how accurate the word of God is and the Bible. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So we understand that this sea doesn't mean actually coming out of water. This sea means humanity, okay? There were four beasts that came from humanity, and these were four empires that came after Daniel, okay? This is how accurate the word of God is. 
and it says in verse four, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Now we know that this is speaking of Babylon, okay? This was the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was king. There's a lot of historical proof that proves that Nebuchadnezzar existed. And even in a lot of Babylonian ancient writings, they will tell you that what I just read to you is something that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He had forsaken the Lord. He didn't believe in God. He pushed his name above God. And what God had to do to him was actually... Um, let him have the very beast-like nature that he had. And a beast is what man is aside from God. So what happened to him? His nails grew real long. He ate with the dew of heaven and with the ox. And, you know, he was hairy. He was, he was like an animal until he repented after seven years and God gave him a man's heart and took away the heart of a beast. And Nebuchadnezzar walked upright so much so that Nebuchadnezzar is the one that wrote Daniel chapter four, which is written in Aramaic, okay? Now that's biblical accuracy. And you know, Nebuchadnezzar's situation came after Daniel. That's just something to, to think about. And look at verse five, he says, and behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. It was raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of the, of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, arise, devour much flesh. So the second beast that they're talking about is Medo-Persia. Okay, now we know that the Persian empire came after the Babylonian empire. This is 100% accurate with history. Now notice when it described this beast, it said that it had three ribs in its mouth, you know, in between its uh, teeth and it was raised up on one side more than the other. Now, if you understand about the history of Babylon, I mean, or sorry, of Medo-Persia, you know that uh, Medo-Persia was made of three different um, groups. You know, there were three different armies that, that Persia took over, Media, uh, the other one was, uh, oh man, I can't remember. I hate when I can't remember this. But there were three that he took that they took over, and the Medo Persians seemed to be like partners. But the Persians were more powerful than the Medes. That this bear was raised upright on one side. That was speaking of one side of this army would be stronger than the other. The three ribs in the mouth of the bear had much to do with the three kingdoms that uh, that Persia conquered. Okay. So anyway, they was told to arise and devour much flesh. Now we know that the Persian army had military might, just how a bear goes and mauls his prey and overpowers his prey. Well, this is what the Persian empire did. They were known to have great numbers in their army. Once again, this is accurate with history. So it says in verse six, after this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now, you know that this is Greece. Right after Persia came the Greek empire. As a matter of fact, they conquered the Persians like the Persians conquered Babylon. 
This is going somewhere, guys. I'm just making the point of the accuracy of the book of Daniel and the word of God. So he said it was like a leopard. What was a leopard? Swift and stealthy. And it said on its back, it had four wings. That means that it moved swiftly. If you know anything about the Greek empire, it moved very fast, so much so that it began to conquer everything in its sight. And Alexander's reign or his conquest was only 10 years. Okay, so that ought to give you an idea to how swift it was moving. And then it says that this beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. So the beast itself here is Greece, which is Alexander the Great. But Alexander the Great had four generals. When he died, four of them took over. You know, I think one of them was um, Seleucid. Seleucid, there was Ptolemy, there was Lysimachus, and Cassander. I'm surprised I remember that. But these are the four um, generals that took over. And the Persian, I mean, and the uh, Greek empire was split up into four. Okay, so it says, look at verse seven. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. So we understand that this next beast is actually Rome. You know, the Roman Empire never really died, but the Roman Empire did suffer. Well, it was never defeated. It just died out. I, I honestly believe it was defeated by the rise of Jesus Christ in Christianity, where they would persecute the Christians, but they couldn't stop the Christians from becoming Christians. Okay, so much so that many of the Roman soldiers became Christian. So this is where Catholicism comes from, because if they did not have Catholicism, that Rome would have no doubt have fallen apart. So they tried to mingle their beliefs with the Christians. And, you know, unfortunately, you've got Catholicism today, which is not Christian. It's a mix of many things that have nothing to do with God. But anyway, this is Rome. And he made clear that this beast would stamp the residue Another word for residue is remnant, okay? So this beast would stamp the remnant with his feet. Now, you know that this um, this uh, residue were the Christians. Remember in 70 AD, they came and slaughtered Christians. And then when the Catholic Church took over, they slaughtered even more, okay? But he says he couldn't describe this beast. It was different from all the other beasts, and it had 10 horns. So I personally believe that what Daniel was seeing here and was trying to describe was a dragon. Also, it would be what you would call a new world order. This is what's actually going on today that we're about to step into, but this is the accuracy of this Bible. Even Alexander the Great read the word of Daniel and said to himself, you know what, he's speaking of me. So he went and, and, and was victorious and his conquest and his life played out, just like the book of Daniel says. That is historically accurate, and you guys can look that up. All right, so then it says in verse eight, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. This is Catholicism. This is, you know, what you would call the Antichrist or the Antichrist spirit, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn 
were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days, that's a name for God the Father, did sit uh, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was as, was um, the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and his wheels of, as burning fire. So can you imagine, you know, standing before God in all this awe and everything going on? Look at verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So can you imagine Daniel was showed the time of around 450 BC or 500 BC up until the coming of judgment day? And he's saying the judgment was set. Everyone's there before God's great throne of fire. And he says that the books were open. Now, I want to ask people one question in particular. What we've got to really ask ourselves is, even as Christians, this is probably going to be harder on Christians than it will be for unbelievers. But my hope at the end of this is that people will actually give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, am I living a life I will not be ashamed in judgment? Are we living lives that when we stand before God, that we won't have any shame whatsoever? Well, that's what we're here to determine. And that's what we're here to find out. And this is something we got to recognize because a lot of people feel like, you know, I'll be fine. You know, I love people and I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we better really make sure that we have it together at the coming of Jesus Christ and around the time he judges. Because the things that you got away with in your life in the past, I promise you, you will not get away with here. Your life is going to play like a videotape and everything that you say will be held against you, as you can pretty much say, in a court, in a court of law. OK, you are going you're not going to be able to lie to Jesus. His eyes are going to be staring right at you and looking through you. So this is something that we better recognize is the buck stops at his desk and there is no getting past this. We've conned our teachers growing up, our bosses at work. We might have slipped in our time cards a little early or a little late. We might have done many things in our lives, but I guarantee you, you will not get past this. So we need to understand what the conditions are that are meant for salvation, that are meant for making it in the kingdom of heaven. Because whether you be saved or unsaved, rich or poor, bond or free, at the coming of Jesus Christ, we will be judged. So let's just keep this in mind because there's nothing more terrifying than standing before any judge that can determine your future, let alone one who has the keys over death and hell and eternity, okay? So I just wanted to bring that point forward. Now let's get in, okay? I want to go to, let's see, where do I wanna go? I wanna go to Romans chapter two. Let's go to Romans chapter two. All right. 
you know, and that's something that we've got to think about. But anyway, um, let's go into prayer. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls, Lord. We ask and we pray, Lord, that you watch over us, that you guide us, that you give your people understanding, that no man's heart be heard in this thing, that no flesh be glorified, Lord, but by your spirit and your anointing, that this will minister unto the hearers, that they may choose life and not death. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you send your spirit of teaching. We pray, Lord, that you will cleanse those people, Lord, that refuse to hear the gospel, that you may give them more time that they may repent before they see you. For we know that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So we just pray, Lord, and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, that we have true understanding as to what your word says. For there is nothing more serious than having to see you and not being made ready as you would like us to be. So I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray, my Lord, thy God, will you speak tonight that people may have an understanding as to what your word says. Lord, we just pray that you just hold back your judgment, that you give us more time to win others into the to be with you and know you. And we pray that your word penetrates deep into the heart tonight, that people may want you to be their throne, or make their heart your throne. We pray and we ask for you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so one thing we gotta understand about God's judgment, and we're about to cover that in Romans chapter two, but we must understand that God's judgment is based on truth, okay? Like I said a little while ago, you're not going to be able to skim past or get past this one on your own. This is something that we have to live a life of truth. If we live our lives in according to God's word, which is the truth, then we will be in good standing with God. The second is judgment will be based on the deeds that we have done in our bodies, okay? Everything that we've done, everything that we've said, everything that we just said loosely will be brought into judgment concerning God. The third is judgment is based on the books. So you see, while I'm sitting here speaking, guys, the Lord is watching over me. While you're sitting there listening, the Lord is watching over you. As you go throughout your day, day and night, that God is having every part of your life being recorded in the book of life. This is what he meant in Daniel chapter seven, that the books were open. Because one thing God is gonna have is a well-detailed report for the way that you and I lived, okay? And everything I promise you that you've done, that you're ashamed of, things that you wish that you can change and make right, it's going to be in that book. 
So, you know, we got one chance to get to know Jesus, to have these things erased, okay? Um, and, and, and being up under him, that we can live a born again experience and forget about that past, okay? You're going from a life of condemnation to one that it is a new and living way that God wants to us to live in and wants us to be like. Okay, the fourth is it will be judgment based on no respect of persons. So as you can see, don't think as a Christian that you're a personal favorite with God. Don't think if you're a sinner that you have, um, you know, the way that you look at yourself, that God's gonna look at you that way. We must understand that God is going to judge us in the truth. So it will be, he's no respecter of persons. I don't care if I'm a Jew, I don't care what I am, if I consider myself royalty in the world, rich or free or whatever, or poor or whatever, okay? Handicapped or whatever. God is no respecter of persons. He calls a spade a spade and what he calls sin is sin and he's going to judge in accordance with that. And the fourth, um, well, this is another part of the fourth. It says uh, judgment based on the law or knowledge of God's word. So we're also gonna be judged for what people have ministered to us, what we either chose to take seriously or not seriously, what we have, um, you know, how much of the Bible we know or how much we've read, because everyone loves to use the example of the thief on the cross. But what about him? He got in at the last minute, yet he also had no knowledge of God. That's important for you and I to understand that the only reason why the thief on the cross got in is because when he found the truth, whether he was on the cross or not, he changed his life. He wasn't going to Bible study. He wasn't in church. He wasn't listening to YouTube videos. He didn't know the Lord, but at the moment he recognized right from wrong in his age of awareness, and he saw that the Lord's judgment was unjust. I mean, like, you know, and he saw that he deserved every bit of sin that he had, he had and he believed in eternal life. And he believed, he, he wasn't even worrying about his life. He wanted to go into eternity with Jesus and Jesus said, you know, this day you will be with me in paradise. So don't think that the thief on the cross is an excuse for us to keep living like we're living and doing what we're doing. He was someone that wasn't even aware of Jesus. And at the time he was, he chose life instead of death. So that's five. We're going to be judged according to the law, or how much knowledge we know of what God calls for you and I to do. And this is uh, six, and it says it's going to be based on the secrets of men. So as I said, there were a lot of things you thought you and I can get through with, a lot of things that we buried pretty deep, and we figured no one would figure out. God saw all of it, and he recorded it with great detail, as if you were watching a film of your life. So you see, if we're going to be judged according to this, then we better have an understanding of what God wants because there is no getting past this. All right, so let's look at Romans chapter two and let's look at verse one. And he says, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, 
for thou that judgest doesn't um, do us the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. So again, as I said, God's judgment is gonna be according to the truth. God is not a man that he can lie, okay? God will tell you the truth. Look at verse three. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So do you really believe with all the things that you're doing that you're going to escape God's judgment? I doubt that. That's pretty much what he's saying. Why would you keep going if you did? I mean, you know, only a crazy person would continue doing what he's doing and not thinking, I mean, believe that he can escape God's judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it is permitted for man once to die. And then after that is the judgment. So there is no getting past this. And you got people today trying to freeze their bodies in that, I can't remember the name of it, Psychor or something like that. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, but people are trying to freeze their bodies and they believe they're going to free their subconscious so that they won't, if they have enough money to do this, that they won't ever die so that they can escape judgment and be downloaded into another body. I believe the technology exists, but what I also believe is, as Solomon says, once that silver cord is disconnected, okay, you are not getting past judgment. What's going to happen for many of those people is they're going to die and a demon is gonna find a body to seep into and that's who's going to be living. I don't care how you know uh, technologically sound this body is gonna be and you wanna download a subconscious, that download will be demonic, okay? It will not be yours. So these people believe that they can escape the judgment, that they're trying to use technology, that they won't die. But I guarantee you, even if such a technology exists, they still got to deal with the coming of Jesus Christ. So that's just something to think about. So anyway, verse four says, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, so you see, if that's why God gives us a chance to learn of his word and get to know him, that we might repent. Because, you know, I kind of thought in the beginning, God was kind of hard too. And, man, God, why are you like this? You know, you, man, it's like you don't want anybody to have fun. I was always taught to have respect for the Lord. But, you know, as you get older and you become more rebellious, you want a little leeway. But I realized that since the Lord has come into my life and changed me, and I became born again, I don't even desire the things that I once wanted God to give me a break with because I realized that they're disgusting, that they're filthy, that they're nasty, that they're no more than what a beast would do, okay? And, and this is why God, you know, does what he does. He gives us a chance to get to know him so that we might repent and see that God is good. Look at verse five, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself a wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So as you can see, this is another thing that God is going to judge according to the deeds. So, you know, we can't take back whatever it is we've done before. 
But what we can do today is find Jesus and repent of the things that the Holy Ghost gives you. You know, it will bring to your remembrance so that you can repent and move forward with God. Because God knows I don't even want him to see me or, or even hold those things against me before finding Christ. And I definitely don't want to stand before him now until I am sure that the work that God has given me is done in this body. Okay, so let's let's keep that in mind. So he says, according to our deeds, we will be judged. Then it says to them who by patient uh, continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So this is a continuous thing. You know, you might be born again today, but you've got to be patient and continue with God in well-doing and seek for glory and honor and immortality of eternal life. It says in verse eight, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, uh, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So, you know, the, the Bible made clear that judgment will begin with the Christian first. Okay, it's going to begin with the Jew first because salvation was of the Jews. It came from, you know, Jesus's lineage of those who were God's chosen people. Okay, that it's going to begin with them, the judgment, but then it will continue with the unbeliever. Okay, so don't think as Christians because I found Jesus, I'm safe. We must understand too that if we don't do what Jesus says, then we're going to have to ask questions or answer questions one day. Why didn't you do this for God? Why didn't you do what he said? Why did you not preach the gospel that more people can be saved? So you see how fair our God is? He's not just going to okay the Christian and do whatever he wants. A real Christian is going to walk as he walked. A real Christian is going to live every day for Christ to do what Jesus says. So that's something that we ought to pay attention to because we're not getting past this. The Jew and the Gentile will be judged. Look at verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no respect of persons with God, Jew and Gentile, God loves them both. Jesus made clear in John 10 that I have sheep that are not of this fold, okay? And what was he speaking of? He was speaking of the Gentile. He said that they would come together and be one new man. So we must understand that God is no respecter of persons. God judges everyone the same. Look at verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So you see the Gentile that didn't know God and was probably given a chance but wouldn't receive it, he is going to be judged without the law. But for the Jew who knows the law will be judged according to the law. Either way, we're all gonna be judged. There is no getting past this. And then he says in verse 13, for not um, the hearers, uh, of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So just because you know the law 
because a lot of Christians today like to talk about how much Bible they know and they're proud of that. But how much of that word are we applying to our lives? All these things will be judged. You see, we've got to do what we read, not just read and boast to others about it. Look at verse 14, for when the Gentile, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew and re and um and restest uh, in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest by his will and approvest of uh, the things that are more excellent being instruction, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou that thou thyself art a guide to the blind a light to them which are in darkness. Now, I just mentioned God is going to be looking at how much we talk to people, how much we we have, you know, this word in us. We're going to be judged according to that measure of what we do for God. Are we guiding the blind or are we just living our so-called Christian lives? Look at verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. So you got to be willing to show anyone, whether it's a child or, you know, someone that's foolish, which is kind of like an unbeliever or like a, a new beginner in Christ. You've got to be able to, 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 you know, to tell the truth to people. Verse 21, thou therefore, which teacheth another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, a man should not steal, Doth he steal? I mean, um, dost thou steal? So imagine just telling people not to do these things and we're doing it. That's what you call hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus can't stand. We'll tell people not to commit sin, but we're committing the same sins. That's why the Bible tells us to examine ourselves and see if we be in the faith. Because if we don't, we will be considered reprobates. Look at verse 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, do thou commit sacrilege? So Christians love to tell people what's wrong, but, you know, guarantee you some of them that, that claim to know the truth are they have idols of their own. Look at verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Uh, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles uh, through you, uh, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So you see, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. The bottom line is, do you believe God? Do you believe God to the place of doing what God says, entering into relationship, being a real what you would call a Jew by by the by you know uh, God's law and God's word, 
or will you just be a worldly person? Thinking clear here is, it doesn't matter what lineage you're from, you can be born a Jew, like many of us are born growing up in the faith. But if we don't stay with the faith, then our circumcision may as well be uncircumcision. If we are people that are, you know, never heard of Jesus, and then we hear of him at the age of like, let's just say 30 years old, okay, and then we decide to do the things of Jesus Christ, would it matter if you were Jew or Gentile? No, because your uncircumcision would become circumcision, okay? So this is all about the deeds that are done in our bodies. Verse 27 says, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, um, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision uh, doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is the circumcision, which is outward uh, in the flesh. But he is a Jew, uh, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And that's why the Bible tells us to study ourselves, you know, study to shew ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, who can rightly divide the word of truth. If we believe God and we believe in God's word, then we will live our lives in accordance with God's word. This is what the Lord is going to be looking at. Are we Jews outwardly or inwardly? Because the outward in the flesh doesn't matter. What you are inwardly, what you have taken to heart, what you have allowed God to rule over in your life determines whether you are going to be saved or unsaved. Okay, let's just keep that in mind. I want to go to a place. Let's go to uh, Matthew 12 and let's look at verse 22 as we talk about judgment day. Judgment day is the scariest time for anybody's life. But Paul also speaks about that, you know, we may have, I think it's John that says that, you know, if we follow the Lord and do what the Lord says, that we shouldn't have a fear of judgment day. We should be able to walk before God in boldness, not boldness as an arrogance, but knowing that you did everything for Christ. And the only way we're going to feel that way is if we give it to God and God works through us. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 and 14, for them that are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Jesus said many will come to him on that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works and all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. So you see, it's not what ideas we can come up with ourselves. Are we being led by the spirit of God? Are our hearts sincere with the things that we do? Because you can find two people doing the same things, but one may have a heart to do it in a pure heart and the other may do it in pride or you know, their own self-righteousness. So we've got to be checked thoroughly through and through that we might be, you know, make it on the day of judgment. This is very serious stuff, man. All right. So let's look at Matthew 12 and we're going to begin at verse 22. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Rock T73. How are you, bro? All right. This is Matthew 12. Let's look at verse 22. 
Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, uh, is, this, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils by, I mean, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? So these people were actually calling Jesus the devil and they're sitting there running their mouths, which is pretty much straight blasphemy because this is what they're actually saying of Jesus, who is the son of God. So then he says, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges because the children actually believe. So, you know, the children were casting out devils and doing what they were supposed to do. And these Pharisees were talking about they, they don't cast out devils or he's casting out devils by the devil. Anyway, verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Uh, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me, he scattereth abroad. So we must understand what Jesus Christ is actually saying here because he's making very clear, if you're not with him, you're against him. If you don't gather with him, you scatter. So let the Christian think about that one. If we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not telling people the truth, if we're not serving Jesus and doing the things that we want to do, we're going to be judged, okay, according to these things. If you're not with Jesus, you're against him, all right? So anyway, he says in verse 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So Jesus is warning them, you better be real careful what you put your mouth on and you say is an act of God or not an act of God, because he made clear if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, you can never be forgiven. You may see someone have hands laid on them and the spirit comes upon them. They may speak in a different tongue. And if you sit back and say, oh, that's fake, that was all made up. If you don't have the discernment and what the Holy Ghost is telling you, whether this is real or fake, you know, you better keep your mouth shut because when you, once you know that blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is a sin and you commit it, he says, man, you won't be forgiven. All right, look at verse 32. And whosoever speaketh the word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. So if you speak against Jesus, you can be forgiven. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be given him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And I would tell people just to play it safe, not to speak against anything that you read in this Bible or what Jesus says. The reason being is because the Holy Ghost comes to glorify Jesus. 
So we better think long and hard about what we say, because it made clear that we will not be forgiven, nor not in just this life, but in the one to come. That's terrifying. Look at verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. Or the tree, for the tree is known by his fruit. So you'll never see apple trees produce orange trees, I mean, or, or produce oranges, okay? Everything is gonna bring forth after its kind. That's the way God created it. So either we're going to be, you know, um, good, or we're going to be corrupt, okay? That determines on who's growing your seed. Are you the seed of the serpent, or are you the seed of Jesus Christ? Because if you're the seed of Christ, then you should bear forth good fruit. Not this double-mindedness, not this hypocrisy, not this lukewarmness, but following Jesus as he says. Look at verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you see, that's how God is going to judge us. With every idle word that we say, out of the abundance of your heart is what comes out of your mouth. So when people can say things and then say, oh, I was just playing. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, I said it, but I didn't really mean it. That's why the Bible tells us be slow to speak, quick to hear. Because if we go blurting out our mouths and saying whatever we want to say, we will be judged according to this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As I'm speaking right now, I'm believing what I'm saying because I believe God's word. That's what's in my heart. But if I don't live it, that tells you that's another level of knowing whether or not someone is saved. But he says in verse 35, a good man out of a good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So man, that's something for us to think about. Look at what he says in 37, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You know what a guy said to me um, at work this past weekend, when I mentioned to him about God's judgment and his need for repentance and needing Jesus Christ, do you know he said to me, well, you know, well, on Judgment Day, God and I are going to have a lot of things to get straight, and we're going to have to talk about before I accept him. I said, if you wait till Judgment Day to discuss that with God, you need not even try at that point, okay? Because it may not be too long before he says, depart from him, and you end up in the lake of fire. You better have it right with Christ before you leave this earth, because there is no plan B. If we don't do the things that God wants us to do, we will go to hell. And it's just that simple, all right? Don't listen to all these people telling you you can be a sinner and make it into the kingdom of heaven. Don't believe in these people telling you you're once saved, always saved. Don't believe in these people telling you that you'll be in a pre-tribulation rapture your life. That's a lie, okay? Christian through the Bible tells us to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So we better have it right before we leave here. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that long for his appearing. Paul tells us in that same chapter, do the work of an evangelist, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Because he says the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall be turned away from the truth and unto fables. So we better learn to stay with Jesus and do what Jesus says. Because when we leave here, there is no plan B. Let's go to Matthew 25 and let's look at verse one. Thank you, Jesus. All right, this came from Derek Prince. This is five main features of this judgment, the judgment day that we're speaking of. He says it's an individual affair. Now we know that. The Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Your church can't save you. Your pastor can't save you. Your family and friends can't save you. This is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You will be responsible for the deeds done in your mortal body. And God's not gonna let you tell him about anybody else. He's gonna ask you, what did you do for him? All right, that's the first. The second is, it's for the things done in our, in our body, you know, in our lifestyle. This is three. It's not for condemnation, okay? Now, what he's talking about is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will be a place where Christians will learn of what's right and what's wrong and whatever stands up against, you know, um, I mean, will stands up with what God judges. Those things will be purged from us, but the Christian will be let in. Okay, but the great white throne of judgment is the judgment for the unbeliever that occurs almost a thousand years after the millennial reign of Christ. Okay, so the judge, the judgment is going to be for the believers first, and that's why it says that you know um, uh, what is it um, that we should make sure that we're a part of the first resurrection because the second resurrection is going to be the great white throne of judgment and God's not gonna hold anything back. So as Christians, we better get in good standing with God. So this is the fourth, it says, motives of what we do should be for Jesus's, for Jesus's glory. So this is another thing that we need to be made aware of. Are we doing the work of the ministry to glorify Jesus or to glorify ourselves? This is big concerning the day of judgment. Because if we don't do according to what God says, then, and you did it for your own glory, you're just as bad as any sinner out there, maybe even worse, because you know the truth, but you wanted the glory for yourself. That's something we got to pay attention to. All right, so this is Matthew 25. Let's look at verse one. It says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto 10 virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. 
While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So this is, this is really interesting because what this is speaking of right now is the coming of Jesus Christ. They, they, he's, he's equating it to a parable of 10 virgins that are waiting to be married to the bridegroom. Notice they were all virgins, just like many of us are all Christians, okay? But he's making clear there were two different types of nature. One went out, you know, and one uh, kept oil in their lamps and the other let their oil run out. So one stayed busy for the kingdom of God and one didn't forsake their relationship, but the other thought, oh, I got plenty of time before the coming of Jesus Christ to make it right. If you're a Christian and that sounds like you, this parable should be terrifying, okay? So anyway, he says that when the bridegroom came, they all trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So this is interesting because we just got finished talking about salvation as an individual affair. You see how now that five of those foolish virgins have no oil in their lamps, they're coming to the wise looking for help. But the wise are saying, not so. If I were to help you now, there wouldn't be any oil left in it for me. Okay, so this is the day of judgment where God is expecting us to be full of oil, full of the spirit, and doing what God says. So they told him, hey man, go and buy for yourselves. I can't help you with this situation. Verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. So, you know, they made it in. Jesus welcomed them in and closed the door behind them. Afterwards came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You know, that's terrifying. That's terrifying to believe all your life that you were in the truth, all your life that you served Jesus, and you didn't. You didn't even know him. You got involved in religious acts and all sorts of works and all sorts of things you thought would be good for you, but you never knew the Lord to hear his voice. And he's telling them, I know you not. That's terrifying. This proves that we are not once saved, always saved. When the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, it means to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is, this is only a one-time shot at life. We can't do anything after this. Once we die, you will go to hell if you don't know Christ. And that's not you know throwing stuff out there. This is absolute truth. All right. So anyway, he says, hey, uh, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And that's terrifying because you see some people could say, well, things have to happen before Jesus comes. Yes and no. You can die tonight 
And you know what? Your book will be well recorded and ready for the Lord to read from. You better think about that one. All right, look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents and another two and another one to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. So we must understand with the Lord here, he's making clear that they were all, all these men or these men were given talents according to their ability. God gives us plenty of talents to do the things that we ought to do. Some of us speak well and others don't speak so well, but some people may be able to sing. Some people may be able to dance. Some people are just likable people. These are things that we will go through and these are talents that God has given us. Some people have boldness to evangelize and just talk to anybody about Jesus. This is the thing that, you know, it can be a talent that God gave us. Some people write well. They may not speak well. They may not have a lot of confidence, but they can post articles and write things. And man, it will touch the heart of the person. So God gave everybody here um, something according to their several ability. Okay. So let's understand that. So anyway, um, he says in verse 16, then he that received the five talents went and traded, um, yeah, went and traded uh, with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. So with these talents, these abilities, or this measure of faith or the spirit that God gave, he expected them to give back what they had, okay? If God gave you two talents, he's expecting your full potential to get two talents back. God doesn't give us anything that he does not intend for you and I to use. Okay, he gave one five because that person can handle five. He gave some two and he gave one one. But then there's one that only had the easiest job that didn't want to do what the Lord says. So he hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. Uh, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So this is awesome because, you know, this person used the talents that God gave him. And when he did that, he was called um, a faithful, what is it? A good and faithful servant, you know? So we don't get points for being successful. We get points for being faithful. How faithful are we to the call that God's given us is gonna determine whether or not we meet our end with these talents, okay? And do what he says. So verse uh, 22 says, 
he also that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is none. So this person didn't want to do what God said. And he had the easiest job of all, but he considered God unfair. He considered God hard. He just felt like, you know, that it shouldn't have been done this way. Now notice the one with five talents, you know, and the one with two talents, they were both considered good and faithful servants. This man with the simplest job of all would not do it. And he made excuse that he was a hard man. So let's look at, um, let's see. Okay, so yeah, so he's he's upset with God. All right, and then he says in verse 25, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth and lo, there thou hast that is done. His Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. So this tells us right here that laziness or slothfulness is wickedness. That's something to think about. God is considering this wicked. Derek Prince made a good point one day and he said that a lot of people will allow drunkards in the church. Or, you know, oh, they won't allow drunkards in the church and other sinners, but they'll let lazy people in, you know. And, and Derek Prince says he believed that laziness is probably more wicked than a drunkard. But he said he's not excusing um, drunkenness and neither am I. But it makes clear that laziness is wickedness. So he says to the, to the man, the wicked and slothful servant, he said, thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath 10 talents. For enter every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. You know, now this is interesting because it's so funny how, and, and you know, I, I got to give credit to what credit is due. Derek Prince is an astute teacher, and he discovered something that made me really think about this. But he said he finds often at times in church, and I have seen this myself from being in ministry, that the one that has one talent, or the one that, that you know, he, he begins to believe that, well, there's not much that I can do. You know, what can I do? It's no big deal. Um, you know, I'm just not going to do anything. But you see, the one with the one talent should take that one talent and be faithful to what the call of God is. But Derek Prince has found, and I've found this to be true as well, that the one that has the easiest job is the one that will sit and do nothing 
where you find the ones with many talents will do many things. But you see, if you've got one talent that God has given to you, then you use it because one assignment is not less than another. But many people that don't feel like they can't do anything, I don't speak well, I can't do this, I can't do that. He said, those are the ones that go to hell. And you know, from my observation and looking at this, this is 100% the truth. So he even lost the one talent he had and it was given over to the one that had 10 talents. But look at what he says in verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, and that's kind of terrifying if you think of the amount of pain that hell is all about. Weeping and gnashing. These are also going to be people that have gotten close, that have heard the gospel, but refuse to do anything about it. Man, this is terrifying because if we're hearing, then we should become doers. We should spend time with Christ and take his words to heart. Because if we don't, you know, we're going to lose the very things that God gives us. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sounds like regret. This sounds like, man, I had it in front of me the whole time. I should have done it. I shouldn't have been so afraid. I should have ministered. I should have just tried to help in whatever way I could. But instead, I sat there and I sat there and I watched. And now that judgment has come and I've got nothing on my resume, and now that God is up there in eternity, I'm in hell with regret and in pain because I would not believe what God has told me to do. Terrifying. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall, shall be uh, gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. So these are going to be nations that are going to come, that are going to be judged. Some are going to be sheep, those who chose to follow Jesus Christ and did right by the people of Christ. And there will be the goats, those who would rebel against Christ and, you know, had war with the Jews. Look at verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right, on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So it was always God's plan long before there was a judgment day or there is one coming, that God wanted those to, from the beginning, to sit with him and to know him and to be with him in eternity. God did this even before he began time. Look at verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. So these people are gonna be blessed because they did these things. They took care of the sick. They took care of the naked. They went to visit those in prison. They, they fed those that were hungry and thirsty. So as you can see, this is God's heart towards those who love their neighbor, who will provide for the poor and the needy. What did he tell you in James 1 and 27? 
pure religion and undefiled before God is visiting the widows, okay, and the oppressed and keeping themselves unspotted from the world. That's pure religion in God's eyes. So anyway, um, look at verse uh, verse 37. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Uh, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So you see, to take care of the Jews is to be blessed. That's something that we got to pay attention to. You know, it's that if we do what God says, God will bless these things, okay? But we must obey God and do what God says. But God loves when people take care of people. Now, this is also speaking of the Jews, how they were treated and how people treat them will, will go according to how God treats them. So he says in verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So as you can see, hell was not made for man. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. But any man that wants to have Satan as his God and not the Lord of heaven, this is what they're going to end up dealing with. You will be prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, verily I say unto you inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And that's why we gotta be careful with how we treat people. You call yourself a Christian, but you see the need for Christ on the streets and you just step over these people, you ignore these people. Well, hey, God is gonna have to judge this, okay? Because you're not showing love to your neighbor, okay? So this is something for us to be made aware of. Another thing that Derek Prince said that was so true, he said, you know, what's the difference or what caused those who wouldn't take care of Israel, you know, to go to hell, okay? When he said at the end here of Matthew 25, and what caused the foolish virgins not to make it, nor the one with one talent? You know what he noticed, and I found this to be true, and I can't believe I let this pass by me. But he said what they did was absolutely nothing. They sat back, they did nothing, they took their salvation for granted, and in doing so, God judged every single one. So that's something that we must pay attention to. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16.
All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. And I believe um, let's begin at verse 19. So this is Luke 16 and 19. And he says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fines, which was laid at his gate full of swords and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. So you got a rich man that fared sumptuously, probably had everything that he could buy or everything that he could want. And you got outside of his gate, a poor man, a, a poor man named Lazarus, most likely a homeless guy. He says, man, he was covered in sores and dogs licked his sores. And he says that, um, you know, he was desiring to just eat the crumbs that fell off the master's table. You know, so this is someone in a bad state of affairs. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So you see, death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how you live your life here. It's where you will spend eternity. That's the most important. All right. So anyway, it says, now look at verse 23. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus uh, in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented and um, in this flame. So this guy ignored Lazarus his whole life. Didn't want to look out for him. He was rich. He wore the best. He ate the best and didn't want to give Lazarus a thing. But now that they're in hell, the tables have turned. Lazarus is comforted, you know, somewhere just with his, you know, head stretched out and laying in the grass probably and just waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. And then you have the rich man now is in torment and, and begging, okay, to be delivered you know, and, um, you know, asking Lazarus if he could just take the tip of his finger and dip it in water and cool his tongue. Now, can you imagine how tormenting this must be that he's asking to be comforted? That's crazy. Look at verse 26. And beside all this, well, look at verse 25, actually. And Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receive good, uh, receive thy good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence uh, to you cannot neither uh, can they pass to us that would come from thence. So Abraham is making it clear here that even if we wanted to help you, and even though this is the judgment that you deserve, that there is a great gulf fixed. I did a teaching on that on SoundTrumpetMinistries.com. There's a great gulf fixed between you and them that I couldn't come over there and help you. You're fixed. Whichever way that the tree falls in the forest, that's where it lays for all of eternity. So we better make sure we fall on the right side, which is Christ. Okay, look at verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. 
but I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So while this guy's in hell, he recognized the way that I live, there's nothing I can do to get out of this. But now he's praying or asking Abraham to send Lazarus to his house, okay, that he can um, tell his family members about hell so that they can get it right. Now let's hear the response to this. Look at verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So just like us, we've got the word of God. There is no excuse for you and I going to hell unless we want to. Verse 30 says, and he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went into them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So unless we take the words of Jesus Christ and the words of God to heart and understand that this is the word of God that is meant to be lived out by you and I, then we will be in torment and not having Jesus in our lives. What they're saying is, because some people are doubting whether or not Jesus existed. Do you know if he rose from the dead and walked the earth, there would be people that still wouldn't believe? So what they're trying to say here, what Jesus is trying to explain is the gospel, the word of God that's walking around today that you can go and buy a Bible and read from is the same as Jesus Christ walking the earth saying these things to us. We better stop playing, man, with our salvation because the day of judgment, as the Bible says, the day of the Lord is a gloomy day. That's gonna be a day that's going to strike fear into the hearts of people who didn't believe. And you see, the more we go into this thing and the closer we get to the end, we better recognize that the spiritual world is gonna open up, okay? So we better start believing with the spiritual mind now or we'll never be able to receive the things in the future. So that's just important to think about. That's important stuff. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter six. Right. Revelation 6, and this is how bad, guys, the world is going to get before the coming of Jesus Christ. We've all got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so we better know what we're getting ourselves into and what to commit to. All right, let's look at Matthew, not Matthew, where did I end up there? It's supposed to be a Revelation chapter 6. There we are, enemy trying to take me away from that. Even though Matthew 6 is a pretty good one too that you should pay attention to because Matthew 6 talks about laying not up for yourselves treasures in and on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, okay? Because he says where your heart is or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's what God wants us to do. And this is Revelation 6, let's look at verse one. He says, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. 
So what do we know? That this is the Antichrist. He's going to come and appear to be like Christ, but he's gonna come to conquer. Jesus comes to give life. This guy is gonna come to conquer. So that's how bad things are gonna get because he's gonna subdue the whole world under him. Look at verse three. And when he had opened the second seal and heard a second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So after the spirit of Antichrist comes in, you see here another with the sword. You know, he's talking about war. War would be all over the earth at this time, okay? Look at verse five. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard of the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So this is going to be the horse I believe which is riding right now. This is the economic rider, okay? This is where things are gonna get so bad that the price of food is gonna go up. The economy itself is going to collapse. You're gonna see anarchy everywhere. And it's probably going to take, what they're saying here is, a day's wages just to get a loaf of bread. Now that's something to think about, but this is where we're headed and this is where things are going. So look at verse seven. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the, um, the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death. So the word for death is Thanatos. That's where they get the name Thanos from the Avengers and all these Marvel comic movies, okay? And you notice in the movie, um, I heard about it, I didn't see it, but I can't remember the name of the last one. But anyways, you know, he killed almost everybody in the movie. Well, they were making fun of the Bible, okay? This one that sat on him was death. So death is a literal spirit that is going to be riding upon a pale horse claiming as many lives as he can. And it says, and hell. So hell with a capital H here is another spirit that's going to be riding. And it says, and hell followed with him and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So, you know, there's gonna come a point after the antichrist rides, there's gonna be, tremendous war like no other time in history, peace taken off of the earth, then you're going to also have what comes later is the, uh, the economy collapsing. I really believe that these things are gonna be riding around the same time. But then last is the pale horse. And the one that sits on this horse is going to be death. And behind death riding this horse, you're gonna have hell scooping up all the souls that he can. So as you can see, the devil is working overtime to try and destroy lives before they can hear or turn to the gospel. That's why we shouldn't take one day for granted and do what God says. Look at verse nine. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them 
that were slain uh, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So let's look at this. Look at how God is expecting us to be faithful even to this degree. I will read verse nine again. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. So these are Christians that died in the faith, believing God. And for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice. So they held their testimony. They cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And then it says in verse 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we must understand here that God is expecting us to keep the faith apart from boyfriends or girlfriends. We can't even part from spending a little time with the Lord, you know, away from your family. We can't even part with the things that we consider treasures now because we got our minds wrapped on foolishness. And that's why we've got to be as the wise virgins, full of Christ, willing to obey Christ and do what he says, because you'll never stand up in a day like this when it comes time. But God is expecting, even at the worst case scenario, to keep the faith until you die, because if not, you will be judged according to your unfaithfulness. That's something to think about. Verse uh, 12, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the hair um, and the moon became as blood. I mean, sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. This is where people are getting the whole thing about the blood moons and all that. Don't listen to any of that. God's gonna let you know when those times will be, okay? Because they predicted the blood moons in 2014. There, um, there's a man lied in 2011 about the coming of Christ. We heard that this made up eclipse, which was full of fallen angels last year or the year before, that people couldn't wait to try and put their spin on it. And oh, the end of the world is coming. Don't believe them because no man knows the end except Jesus. I mean, not even Jesus Christ, even the father. The father is the only one that knows when the end of time will be. What we need to do, regardless of all this stuff breaking out and going on, we better know Jesus and we better remain faithful. Because what's more important is eternal life, not this life. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the, a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the, heavens, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens uh, and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us 
from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So you see, they're gonna, there's gonna come a point where you got these so-called occultists and illuminists and all these other groups think they're sitting on something. They think down at Denver airport, they're hiding in their bunkers and then they're, you know, two mile down uh, safety places that they're gonna hang out in these caves. Well, the Lord is gonna remove all of that and all the wickedness that they have done. And they're gonna be screaming and crying for the rocks to fall on them and cover them so that they won't meet the wrath of the lamb. It's gonna happen anyway. The Lord is gonna destroy this earth and burn it up. And the only ones that are going to make it are gonna be those who put their faith and trust and live their lives for Jesus Christ. This is coming. Everything prophecy said, how did the Lord know that they were gonna build underground bunkers, the government, and all this stuff going on. He knew this 2000 years ago. This is God's word, period. So he says, for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? Not one of us has it in us to go through this. Only Christ in you will be the hope of glory to endure till the end. Jesus says, he that endureth unto the end shall be saved but this is what's gonna come at us and this is what the Lord is expecting. All right, so now I'm gonna head towards the end and make a few points. So anyway, um, I wanna go to Revelation 19, since I'm already here. This will be the coming of Jesus Christ. So let's look at Revelation 19 and verse one. And it says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, which is Greek for hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. So this is the coming of Christ. This is the, um, the last chapter was the destruction of Babylon. So God is gonna destroy this world system and all the evil, the antichrist empire, you may as well say, is gonna be torn down and there will be people in heaven shouting and screaming, Hallelujah, that finally Babylon the great is fallen. Finally, we don't have to deal with the wicked and corrupt government. Finally, we don't have to deal with this filthy, dying and corrupting, decaying body that we will be moved on unto eternity. So he says in verse two, for true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and have avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Alleluia, uh, the, and, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, like hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So if you look at the word omnipotent, it means he who holds sway over all things, the ruler of all, almighty God. 
And let's pray that we believe this and know this before we get back to the coming of Christ, because all things belong to God. He is mighty and controls all. Verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. So this goes right back to the parable of the 10 virgins. When Jesus comes, the bride, which is his church, are going to make themselves ready. They're not gonna take for granted judgment day. They're gonna live every day as if it's their last that they may honor the living God. Look at verse eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So not only will we, we're not gonna be pretending to be righteous. We're not gonna be Pharisees. We're gonna be righteous in nature with glorified bodies through and through, full of God's spirit, full of God's glory. That's what God has in store for the saints that believe in him, that trust in him, and that will believe in their death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse nine, and he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what this guy is saying here, um, um, John got ready to worship this angel for showing John this vision. And John and the angel said, hey man, don't worship me. I'm just your fellow brother. You know, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So they know to worship God and not man. Uh, so anyway, look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. So we know that the Lord is gonna make war and he is going to judge the righteousness of men. So this is terrifying, but this is the coming of the Lord on his horse. And he is known as faithful and true and his righteousness is what he judges with. You notice that Jesus is the full armor of God. They mention here faithful, we are given the shield of faith. They mention truth, that is the belt that goes around our loins. And then it says righteousness, that is the breastplate in which God is gonna judge. Verse 12 says his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture uh, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. There's another weapon. There's the sword of the Spirit. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. Look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I pray, Lord, that I'm one of these that rides with you back 
to take vengeance on the wickedness of this world. Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. So the Lord is going to trample these enemies as if they were grapes. He says, in the winepress with the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And it speaks after this point that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. So this is the millennial reign of Christ. After the Lord subdues the enemy, okay, the Lord is gonna come back to earth for a thousand years. Jesus Christ will be living amongst us to show you and I how the world was supposed to be. And he's gonna rule with a rod of iron. He's going to be strict. He's not gonna be kidding around here. He's going to be so serious about what he wants. So it's important that we get to know him and become a part of that first resurrection. So it says in verse 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. So at this point, when Jesus subdues his enemies, there'll be nothing but carcasses out there. He's gonna tell the birds of the sky to come and have your fill. They're gonna be janitors. They're gonna clean up the mess that Jesus Christ is gonna leave behind. They're gonna be nothing but bird feed at the bottom, I mean, I'm laying on the earth. Now you see, you don't wanna fool around with God. You better get right with him. Look at verse 18, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So there will be people that will be aiming up at the sky, trying to do war with the Lord as he comes back. Let me tell you guys, that's what the planetary defense system is all about. When they make movies like Deep Impact and they make movies like uh, Armageddon, remember in the 90s, what they're trying to tell you is, okay, is that that rock that's coming is Jesus. There's no asteroid gonna hit the earth. They're preparing their weapons to fight against Christ. They don't want you guys to know that it's that real, that, that they even believe in Jesus. They just wanna annihilate him. They don't want you to know that it's that serious, that at the coming of Jesus Christ, these things are gonna be dealt with, okay? So that's important that we have an understanding of this. The devil knows that God is real, and so do the followers of the devil. All right, they know Jesus Christ is real and they're gonna try and make war with him. So let's see what happens in verse 20. And the beast was taken, so the Lord destroyed them. The beast, which is the Antichrist, was taken. And with him, the false prophet, that's in Revelation 13, uh, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, 
burning with brimstone. No, thank you. I do not want this for me. But the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet, and all those that were deceived of the Antichrist to receive the mark, they're all going in the lake of fire. Not for me. Look at verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword, and him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of the mouth of out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So the Lord is not even going to fight them with a sword and all that. He's going to speak the word and they're going to be annihilated. These people have no idea what God they're fooling around with, but they better find out before it's too late. So this is Revelation 20 and we're going to begin at verse one. We're almost done, guys. But that's why we have got to be made right with Jesus. All right. This is Revelation 20. Let's look at verse one. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that's Satan, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So at this point, there's going to be a powerful angel that's going to have a great chain in his hand. He's going to bind up the devil and cast him into the abyss for a thousand years, okay? That will be the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus will be on the earth, ruling the earth with a rod of iron and showing people what he meant for this world to be like. Look at verse three, and cast him into the bottomless pit. That word for a bottomless pit means abuso. That means the abyss. And shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, excuse me, until uh, the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. So the devil's going to be bound for a thousand years. Then he's going to be loosed for a little season to do his work again. I'm wondering, Lord, why would you even let him go again? Look at verse four. And I saw thrones and they, and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So that's important for us to recognize that those who were beheaded, you know, are going to be those that are going to be with Jesus in the millennial reign. Those that stood for Christ, those who believed him because they knew that the judgment would come. They believed. Look at verse five. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So as you can see, the dead in Christ, as you read in 1 Thessalonians 4, they're going to rise first and meet with the Lord in the clouds. The Lord is going to judge them and give them their place. Now, after the millennial reign is over, for those who, for those who believed Christ, then now the judgment is going to come for the ones in the second resurrection who were the unbelievers. Okay, look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God 
and with Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So for those who believe they're gonna be on the earth with Jesus, those who were in the first resurrection. Now look at what he said. He says they're blessed who were in the first resurrection. You don't wanna be a part of the second resurrection. Look at verse seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So the devil will be loosed for a little while to go and deceive the nations again, to battle against Israel or to battle against those in the millennial reign with Christ. Now, this is important why, why Jesus allows this, because if you think about it, Jesus has been on the earth, okay? So now people see him, now people have no excuse. If the nations from that point wanna be deceived again to follow Satan, now their judgment will be where it should have been in the first place, but God has given us a chance, okay? So that's something to think about. Look at verse nine. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you won't even be able to sleep. Man, you don't wanna fool around with God to be thrown in the lake of fire day and night. That will be where you exist. God will shut up his world from you and you won't know him. And that's terrifying. And you know, one of the, um, the things that will happen is you'll be able to see heaven. That's in Revelation 21 and, 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 and uh, Revelation 22. You'll be able to see the promises that God promised those who believe, but the people in heaven won't be able to see you. Okay, just how Lazarus was comforted when he was kicking back and in peace, he couldn't see the man over there being tormented, but the man being tormented could see him. So it wouldn't be heaven if we could see who was tormented, but that's why we better know God and stop fooling around. All right, so anyway, he says um, in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So man, we don't wanna be these individuals. We want to get right with God and stay with God, because he said a bunch of books would be open. That would be the books of their lives. But then there was another book open that was the book of life. And we gotta ask ourselves one thing, are our names written in that book of life? Because if your name was once written in there, the Bible made clear that God can blot it out. So you see, we've got to live this life like no other time, for Jesus and be made right with Jesus and stay right because you can have your name blotted out of that book. But we better ask ourselves, are your names written in that book? 
because there's nothing more terrifying than God going down a list of names. He may start with Adamson and Adler and Bueller and, you know, Crouch or whatever. And then you get down to, let's just say me, and he skips right over. Hall, Hamilton, this one, that one. And I'm sitting there talking about, um, Lord, you forgot Derek, Derek Hallett. Man, that's scary. And Lord be, oh, Derek Hallett? Um, I don't know you. I mean, that's terrifying, man. That's terrifying to believe that you were in the truth the whole time and you're not. And that's a frightening thing. You better get right with Jesus and do it today. Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So not even death and hell can save you. They're going to deliver up all the souls that they claimed just to reach the judgment of Jesus Christ. And if they don't, me- well, they're not going to measure up at the great white throne. These are for all the unbelievers, and then they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Can you imagine that? Death and hell, the two things that men fear, will be thrown into the lake of fire. How bad is our Jesus? How powerful and, and, and how much should we fear this Jesus? He can take these two entities, death and hell, that ruled over men and cast them into the lake of fire. And we better fear God and keep his commandments. Look at verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Some scary stuff, guys. Let's look at Revelation um, 21. Revelation chapter 21. And it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Man, this is this is beautiful. This is something else where God will take away all pain, all tears, all disease, everything that we ever suffered with, and we're gonna live in eternity with Jesus. Man, what a thing, what a beautiful um, story, man. What a beautiful reality if we believe what we're walking into. Look at verse five, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst 
of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. So we've got to overcome, all right? I don't care what addictions we have. I don't care what we think we can't live without. We better overcome because the promises are to the overcomers. And he says that he will be their God and they shall be his son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the whoremongers and the abominable, well, actually, and the abominable, those are those that are detestable, disgusting, filthy. That's why homosexuals, instead of sitting there believing you're born that way, you better seek the living God because he says that that's an abomination and, and many other things are, but you better seek God and stop making excuses. If I can't make excuses for my sin, you can't make excuses for yours. Repent and throw yourself on the mercy seat on the altar before God and ask him to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness because it's a demon. It's a spirit that controls homosexuality. It's not a choice. That's why most of them have become that way through molestation, through being hurt, through going through a lot of pain. And you know, I'm your best friend. And anyway, he says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, so that's something that we better know that we've got to have these things right with God. Okay, now if you read further down, guys, it's gonna tell you how beautiful Jerusalem is, that it's going to look like transparent glass and it's gonna be covered with jewels and the streets are gonna be paved with gold and, and transparent looking. Man, I've got to see this. I've got to get in here and be with the Lord. This is what I want because you see, you'll find all these things are garbage that are outside of what God has in store for you and I. So verse 25 says, let's skip down to verse 25. Well, let's go down to verse 24. And it says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. So can you imagine just being in God's glory, nothing but daytime, no night? Look at verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we wanna be written in God's book because without that book, we're damned. And I'm not gonna dress it up any more than that. Jesus talked about hell more than he ever talked about heaven. So we better understand that hell was not something that should be ignored. Okay, because hell is made for the unrighteous. Where churches get off today just to talk about love and don't wanna talk about hell, I have no idea, but that's not 
what Jesus Christ did when he was here. He spoke to people about hell that they may fear hell, that they may not go to hell because he who has the keys over hell is Jesus. So you want to know Jesus and get in right standing with Jesus so you won't go to hell. Last scripture of the night, let's go to Ecclesiastes 12. And we're gonna begin at verse one. We're gonna conclude there. Ecclesiastes 12 and one. Now you guys know in the book of Ecclesiastes, I suggest everyone reads it because Solomon was a man of many riches. He was a man of all wisdom. He would have probably been the most successful man today. You think the Rockefellers are rich. Nobody's rich like Jesus Christ, okay? I mean, or, or Solomon. Solomon was rich, okay? He had everything that man can wish. And what he realized at the end of his life, after he touched on every part of society and life that you and I are a part of, he said, you know something? All is vanity. Now, some people may say, what is vanity? Vanity is like a vapor or a breath or a, on a cold day. You breathe it out and it just evaporates or it, you know, it disappears. That's what vanity is. That's what life is. Life is just a vapor. It's just a bubble on water. And we have to take that time to know Christ, that we can be made right by Christ, okay? Because everything else is a waste of your time, all right? This is Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to look at verse 1, and we'll close from here. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So he's talking about remember your creator and stay with him, even when you get old and in the days of your youth, and while evil days come not. So when the evil days are not even here, we're supposed to be remembering our creator. Who's our creator? Jesus Christ. The Bible makes clear that all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus, okay? So then he says, um, nor when you draw nigh, you know, to the end of your life. You know, when people start to get old, you notice that they fear death less and less, or they start thinking about the things that are most important. So they find out that this life is not all it's cracked up to be, that they should have been living for more. I'll tell you another thing that's even more frightening is to see when people actually die and you look in their eyes and you can tell they're staring at something and it's not you. They are seeing into eternity and they know from that moment whether or not they made a mistake or whether they're going on in God's glory. Man, we better think about this. We only got one life to live. Look at verse two. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. What are we talking about here? The coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse three. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out of the windows be darkened. Now this is talking about those who go on with their daily lives, grinders and people that would be working for him or working in the world. Everything is gonna become dark, remember, at the coming of Christ. Look at verse four. And the doors shall be shut in the streets, and the sound of the grinding is low, 
and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they, when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fear shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail because man goeth uh, to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. So he's talking about the end of his life. He's talking about when a man dies, it says he goes to his long home. What is your long home? That is eternity with God, okay? So you go to your long home and the mourners go about the streets, just like when your funeral, when we're seeing our daily departed go away. He says in verse six, or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken and the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. So what are we talking about here? You know, a lot of new agers know what this is concerning your silver cord. Your silver cord, what new agers would even tell you, and this is true, links your soul to your body. A lot of people like to astral project and fool around with that, but if that silver cord ever breaks, you're dead. So what we're talking about here is the soul leaving the body, the spirit leaving the body, okay? This is the end of your life. This is what Solomon is describing. When he says the wheel or the broken sister, that's when the body dies, okay? You, we're like vessels. When we die, your soul's coming out. Look at verse seven. Then shall the dust return to the earth. That's death. And you know when man dies, he returns to the earth. It's funny how scientists will tell you how we came about so many different ways, but the Lord tells us we came from the dust from the earth. If you look when a person dies, you, you will see they turn to dust. So let God be true and every man be a liar. He says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So as you can see, God owns us. And when we leave here, our spirits go back to him. Look at verse eight. He says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. All is vapor, all's a breath. All of this life is a waste of your time if you know not God. Look at verse nine. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. This is Solomon who wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the wisest of all men. And it's so amazing that God never took away his gift, that he could write such things under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but Solomon himself was not saved. The Bible made clear, and I believe it's first Kings chapter 11, Solomon fell away. He lusted after women, he served their gods, and God told him to stay away from them because they would turn his heart, you know? But he, he kept after them. He served their gods, and the Bible made clear that Solomon fell away. He was not at his, as his father David, who loved the Lord. Look at verse 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails, 
fashioned by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. So, you know, the words here of the wise are as goads. That word for goad means, um, you know, they said that they don't know the meaning of it, but I would imagine if it mentions nails and as goads, it would be kind of like nails and hammers or, or um, what do you call it? Um, like nails and hammers that are fastened uh, by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. So you see, Jesus is the only shepherd that we have. He's the only one that's watching over you and I that we make it, and we better give our lives to him. Look at verse 12. And further by these, my son, be admonished, be warned of making many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So you got a lot of people out here studying all kinds of books. They believe in their education. They believe in their lives. They believe in the things that they want. All that knowledge, okay, amounts to absolutely nothing when it says there is no end of books and much study is a weariness of the flesh. All that studying different books and knowledge when we should be studying this book, which is the word of God, which is the only one that can make you wise unto salvation. So then he says in verse 13, so he wrote 12 chapters to make his point, but this is what he's trying to tell us about life, how life is vanity. And unless we know Jesus, we, you know, all of this is for nothing. Imagine living 90 years and going to hell. Imagine living 300 years and going to hell. What would the purpose be? That's why Jesus told us in Matthew 16, what is it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer to that is absolutely nothing. So he's going to conclude here with verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So can you believe why we're in this life and being born that we're supposed to be full of God's spirit? The conclusion of the whole matter is that you and I must fear God and keep his commandments. He didn't say that's part of the duty. He didn't say that was a religious Sunday. He didn't say it's what we do sometimes when we feel like doing God's will. He says that is the whole duty of man is to know God and to fear him and keep his commandments. Look, and you know, those two commandments, I wanna make this point before somebody tries to corrupt this. Jesus says the first and great commandment of the law is to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says on those two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, okay? So he says in verse 14, but God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So you see, we've got to be made right with God because the things that we got overwhelmed on with people, God sees all. So we need to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. You know, if you give your life to Christ and you have his spirit 
And I want to talk to the unbeliever tonight too. If you know you're not saved, all you've got to do is believe on Jesus Christ, believe in his finished work on the cross, believe that he died for your sins and he was buried and resurrected unto glory and is the propitiation for you and I, is the great mediator for you and I. And you must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. The Bible makes clear that no man shall see the Lord without Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you repent, you ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior, you turn away from your sins and repent of your ways, Jesus Christ will come into your life and he will, and you will begin the born again process, born of the spirit. I would suggest even after that, you get baptized, okay? Then there's gonna come a point during your spiritual walk with Christ as the Holy Ghost sanctifies you, that he will baptize you in the spirit, that you will be empowered to live the life that only Jesus Christ could live, okay? So I just wanna tell people with that, fear God and keep his commandments because he says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or it be evil. And where we spend eternity will be up to us. So I just wanna tell people, I love you all. Give your life to Jesus while there is still time. Because if you've heard this message, you are now accountable to believe on the truth. Once the truth is presented to us, we become accountable of the gospel and how we should live in accordance with what God wants. So I wanna pray real quick and we'll go out from there. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for another day. We thank you for you are good and your mercy endures forever. I pray, Lord Jesus, that anyone that hears this message will think light, I mean, do not think like, will think heavy about this and will decide to give themselves to you, Lord, and will not think light of this because this is only life of death we're talking about. This is only eternity, Lord, eternity that we're talking about. This is only, Lord, that we are born dead. We are dead on arrival. And unless we receive into the king. Every heart that hears this message, I pray that you turn every mind. I pray that you cleanse every vessel that you may live in and that they may live their lives according to you and spread the gospel. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, Rock T73, the glory is the Lord, Jesus Christ. So, you know, I just want to tell people out there, I love you. Give your life to the Lord. All right, until next time. Well, actually, I do want to tell you guys this too, that um, tomorrow we're going to be doing a teaching at 7.30. It's going to be called 30 Pieces of Silver. So I hope that you guys tune in. It's gonna be 7.30 Pacific time. It'll be 10.30 Eastern time. But I pray and I hope that you guys pay attention to that because it's gonna be, I think, a really important teaching and something for people to grasp. All right, and I just wanna say I love you all. Until next time, have a good night. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.